space fans, and welcome to a new edition of Last Week in Space, the Supercluster podcast that brings you all the biggest updates from the world of space exploration. I'm here with Daniel Oberhaus, Wired Magazine spaceflight reporter and a contributor to Supercluster. We have just witnessed an attempt to land on the moon by the Indian Space Research Organization. As a coincidence, the last time we had Daniel on the podcast was to discuss the Israeli lunar lander, which you so eloquently started the podcast with. Fuck no, it did not land on the moon. So Dan, what happened to the Indian Space Research Organization's Vikram lander? It didn't land on the fucking moon. Jeez. (laughs) Well, unfortunately... It uh, did land on the moon. It, it landed. Almost, it, it got to the moon. It's there, we think. It's there. Right now, the ISRO is reviewing data. There's been no confirmation of a crash. But during the descent, it veered off its trajectory, and which we all noticed in the data readout. It's kind of like a jagged line, and that was what we noticed. And then from the live stream, we started seeing heads and palms and sad faces and then, Dan, what happened? We saw the president of India show up. Yeah, I mean, when they started consulting with Modi, the prime minister, that's kind of when I knew that this probably wasn't going as they expected. And it was really unfortunate because when we were talking about these trajectory lines, it was everything was going perfect. It looked right. like it was going to be a flawless landing. And then, like, literally within the last minute, two kilometers above the surface, they lost contact. Very similar to the Beresheet incident. Dan, let's just get this out of the way now because I don't want to be reading Wired Magazine next week. Do we know if there's any tardigrades on this mission or any living creatures whatsoever? I mean, as far as we know, there were no living creatures, but there was a lot of interesting scientific instrumentation that is now perhaps lost. Okay, let's go back to the basics on this. Chandrian 1 was launched 10 years ago, a very successful mission. It added a multitude of science and understanding as to whether there was water on the moon? And the answer is yes. It was the first confirmation of water on the moon. NASA assisted the Indian Space Research Organization in extrapolating that data to find what they think is water or water particles on the moon. So this mission was a big follow-up to that, to also looking for water, but also continuing the science and building the science of understanding of the moon. So from what I understand, Chadrian 2 was going to enter orbit, which it did, and then dispatched the Vikram lander to the surface. It was supposed to land, and then, correct me if I'm wrong, Dan, but it was the rover was supposed to operate for two full weeks to look for new spots that might have water and just look for early signs of microbial life and just different things, right? Kind of. So both the lunar lander Vikram and the rover Pragyan, they were both only going to last for two weeks. They were Mm -hmm. solar powered. So the Indian Space Research Organization planned this mission such that it would start right at the beginning of a lunar day, which lasts two Earth weeks. Mm -hmm. But then as soon as it became night, the hardware wasn't ready to withstand the brutal cold of the lunar night. So they thought it was probably going to kill the rover and the lander. Mm -hmm. They were going to try to reboot it, but it's kind of a moot issue at this point because it's unlikely to have survived. So India did not become the fourth nation to successfully land on the moon. It's unfortunate. I've been reading tweets from different reporters that are on site. The mood changed really quickly. 
Apparently, right after people realized there was an anomaly, a reporter started asking questions, and then the mission control people started kicking the reporters out. That's from what I was reading, a few of the reporters dispatching there. It's just that whenever something like this happens, whether it's at Kennedy Space Center or India or China, it's upsetting for everybody. And there's a lot of confusion, a lot of uncertainty. When you're dealing with a mission to another planet or the moon, failure is kind of expected. Yeah. And I mean, even just watching the live stream of the Mission Control Center, you could there was a palpable change in yeah, mood. Immediately. Um, it, it went from total exuberance, like this is totally going to happen. And then just on a dime, it became clear that something had gone wrong. And in the lead up to that, all the Indian media organizations were very exuberant. They were really just, you know, everyone was excited and rightfully so. But then after that, it was almost total silence from ISRO. There wasn't any updates and still really isn't. We know there really isn't right now. We're just, we're checking and there hasn't been any update as of when we're taping this podcast. The crash landing happened just a couple hours ago. I, I can see why people's hearts are broken because the there's a there's a little bit of nationalism behind this mission. I just think with Modi's administration and him as prime minister, India has become very nationalistic. Projects and missions like this are a source of pride for the whole country. There was lots of school children, just a lot of media. To have all those folks there and it happen like this is really upsetting. You can tell the mission directors, the people who were had to go up to Prime Minister Modi, you could tell they were had the look on their face like, we don't know what happened. This is, and honestly, they probably don't at this point. Yeah, and I mean, I think your point about the nationalist aspects of this mission, you know, this was a huge point of pride for Indians. It was literally in the design of the rover itself and the and the rear two wheels, they had put a Ashoka Chakra mm-hmm. design, which is the 24-spoke wheel that's in the center of the Indian flag. It right. has religious connotations in Buddhism, Hinduism, and Jainism. And then on the other wheel, there was a ISRO logo. And so this was rightfully a big deal. A very symbolic mission. Oh, 100%. This was by far the most ambitious thing that the Indian space program has ever undertaken. But I think it's important to note that it, it's easy to call that a failure, but... They still have an orbiter. They still have the, the Chandrayaan two orbiter, which is gonna do science oh, for yeah. a very long time. They, there was fourteen scientific instruments in Chandrayaan two. Mm-hmm. Over half of them are on the orbiter and are safe, and so we're still going to learn a ton about the moon. And so I still think it's correct to say that this was a huge success for India. Mm-hmm. Could have been better, but all things considered, really just a huge accomplishment. And the Indian Space Research Organization as a government entity, they do have the resources to pick themselves back up and try this mission again relatively soon, in a few years if they wanted to. Like we said, Chandrayaan 1 was a decade ago, which is in space terms, that's not that far away. It was actually supposed to be a lot sooner. They were going to launch this back in 2013, but the Russians were Mm -hmm. unable to make the rover. Right. And so the Indians did, they turned on a dime, Mm -hmm. made a rover and still made it happen, which I think is just... It's pretty amazing. It's it's amazing. And they did it on a shoestring budget, which is even more amazing. Yeah. When you think of, let's go back to the Israeli mission to Bereshit. Like I said, the circumstances were very similar. We were all watching the live feed. And as it was descent, that's when we lost signal. It was a very similar situation. I do see a little bit of a difference in the reaction, at least the immediate reaction. Netanyahu was with the mission control folks for Bereshit, just like Modi was. And as soon as we realized there was a failure 
for the Israeli mission, Netanyahu and some of the mission directors immediately was like, listen, we know that, that, that this didn't work out as we wanted to, but we're taking this as a, a point of pride. We see it as a success. For a small nation like Israel to even get near the moon is really impressive. And I think that's why there was a little bit of a difference in the rea immediate reaction. The Indians are far more accomplished in space than the Israelis are. They thought that this was going to be their next thing. And the Indians are looking at human spaceflight as their next big thing. Landing on the moon, landing a robot on the moon is obviously a critical sort of moving forward on becoming a spacefaring nation. So I, I see the disappointment. I see the difference in Israeli losing, the Israelis losing their lander, a relatively young space program versus India, where their space program has been up a while. They have been successful. And, you know, this is going to be a blow to their ego a little bit. You know, we're going to get comments tomorrow from Modi, I'm sure, explaining like, you know what, we're still proud of our people. Well, and in, you know, in Modi's defense, he, he did talk a little bit to the Indian press afterwards and he was kind of more hopeful mm -hmm. in his comments. You know, he acknowledged how hard this was. And I, I think it's also important if we're going to compare this to Bereshit to think about Bereshit came out of a commercial lunar prize to like a race to the moon, really. And right. like the Israeli space agency is kind of a public private entity. It's mm -hmm. not fully a national project right. in the same way that India's is. India's also cost like 140 million US dollars, whereas the Israelis cost what, like a couple million bucks. Less than so, 10, it, yeah. you know, yeah, it's, it, it's a huge expenditure, but relative to every other lunar lander, they did it for almost nothing. And that's really been kind of the history of the Indian space program. They have always shown a incredible resourcefulness for accomplishing amazing things mm -hmm. with a budget that makes NASA look rich, which <laughs> is saying a lot. Yeah. And let's go back just to the overall mission of Chandrayaan 2, which it, it'll be able to achieve most of it, I'd say. But what's like the overall, because I know you've, you did a couple articles for Wired about the mission. What can you tell us about like what the major component of the mission is? Sure. So the Chandrayaan 2 lander was supposed to be the most southernmost um, it was supposed to land among the South Pole, like in an area. Yeah. So like Pole. when we think about like the South Pole on Earth, there's like a region ben below a certain latitude that's considered the South Pole, even if it's not the actual South Pole. So in this case, same thing with the moon, the lander would have been inside this region. It was only like 350 miles, I believe, from the South Pole. All the Apollo missions were landing near the equator. So this was really uncharted territory in terms of actually putting something on the moon. Mm -hmm. I think really one of the most promising parts of this mission that's still going to be able to be done because of the orbiter was looking at the water ice that's right. trapped Taking a poles. second look at it. Yeah. yeah, and really getting a better understanding. Because of Chandrayaan 1, we know it's there. A lot is riding on whether they find more water. I think a lot of people, you know, I don't want to say people, maybe a lot of companies like Blue Origin, SpaceX, and a lot of NASA-affiliated partners, NASA themselves, are looking at this discovery of water as like a boon to what they want to do in the future. They're like, well, if there's water there, we can probably make fuel, right? If there's water there, we can probably build a colony. So there's a lot of things riding on whether we can confirm the existence of drinking water or usable water or potable water or any kind of water on the surface. Right before Chandrayaan 2 was supposed to place its lander on the lunar surface, Jeff Bezos tweeted a... Good luck to them. I saw the tweet and then I was watching, 
here at Supercluster headquarters, we had our projector playing the live feed from India today, and it was the most colorful, <laughs> happy, so dramatic, so dramatic. I love it was it. like watching a news clip from a movie. Like it was so out there. CNN could really take a page out yeah, of it. Yeah, they great. really could. Um, <laughs> it was just like so bombastic and exciting, and they like had it's, all, it's awesome seeing yeah seeing a national media outlet get this stoked yeah. about. And from what science. I understand, it, that's their CNN, their Fox News, their twenty-four hour news cycle. So for them to, to for us to see them just convert their day, daytime programming or nighttime programming, I guess over there, into this full-on coverage was something that we don't get here in America. I think for Falcon Heavy, the first one, we got some coverage, like maybe for like 10 seconds on CNN, but we don't typically get that kind of coverage when it comes to space. Even if America was launching a lunar lander tonight, I do not think we would have that kind of coverage on no, CNN. And I mean, I in the lead up to the landing, I was speaking to some people who either grew up in India and now work in, at NASA mm -hmm. or are were formerly from the ISRO. And they were all saying that, you know, when they were speaking to their friends and family, everyone was obsessed with this. Everyone Every, knows about it. Yeah. It, it was three in the morning there and people mm -hmm. were glued to their television screens. Yeah. Like this was a huge, huge deal for Indian, right, rightfully so. And the encouraging thing is I think that when you look at the online sentiment about this mission, most people, especially Indians, are still very proud of it. And I think that's I think the so correct too. response. Yeah. I think... I think there's a lot to be a proud of um, with the mission. Obviously, it didn't go fully the way they expected. But the Indians have the resources and the drive and the public support to do a Chandrayaan 3. Oh, I hope they do. They absolutely yeah. do. So and that's likely what they'll do. And regardless, this mission is going to do wonders for every... Someone I was speaking to today, a planetary scientist, they're like, look, this is an important national mission, but really the benefits of Chandrayaan 2 are going to be felt by everyone all over the world. This is really going to be laying the foundation for future human missions to the moon and hopefully really advance our understanding of the lunar environment. This is our closest planetary neighbor and we know so little about it still. Well, good luck to the Indians on uh, operating their orbiter. And we'll have a follow-up on next week's episode of Last Week in Space, hopefully with an official confirmation that the spacecraft did crash. Dan, I want to thank you for filling in this week for Chris Gebhardt, who is still dealing with Hurricane Dorian. Hi, Chris. Uh, uh, listeners are probably wondering why we didn't have an episode last week. It's because Chris and I have been dealing with the hurricane along with space stuff. Dorian headed right towards Kennedy Space Center, which is not good. You know? Kennedy was fine. Though, it was right? fine now. I've been reading tweets from some of our counterparts down there, like Emily Speck and Brendan Byrne. They've been following the situation, and it does seem like Kennedy, it, it, it was fine. It's not their first rodeo. It's not. And the last couple of years, I mean, I've seen Kennedy get plenty of damage before, so I'm really happy. It takes quite a while to fix everything and lots of taxpayer money. So I'm really happy that nothing happened. I'm really happy for Chris. Is the Starship uh, okay? Starship is okay. I was just about to get to that. Starship is fine. Uh, the prototype over at Cocoa Beach. But um, just want to shout out Chris. He's been dealing with this for a while. He will be back with us next week for Last Week in Space. I had to worry. My parents, Dan, as you know, you've been a guest at our house. My parents are also in the uh, path of many hurricanes. They are fine. So we're going to be getting back to business as usual next week. A couple of things coming up. And we didn't do an episode after the great Starhopper test. So let's briefly mention that. 
Dan and I were watching on Twitter along with Chris and everybody else. SpaceX, I want to call it a surprise because I didn't think it was going to launch. And a lot of folks that I know did not think that little water tower looking R2-D2 thing would actually fly. And it did. Oh, how good. It was so cool. And it upended a lot of things for the industry because, you know, when Elon talks, everyone kind of ignores him until he does the thing and he did the thing. Oh my God, the, the Raptor engine, what it, it, a fucking That sight. is a powerful, wow. this Raptor engine is what what's going to take humans to Mars. And that's sort of the, the aura that's building around this engine. But to see it fly for the first time was amazing. I've heard it fire up, test fire a couple times, but to see it flying was amazing. I just wanted to talk about that. I know that's been a couple weeks, but Supercluster has decided to head down to Boca Chica at the end of this month. Elon Musk is going to be giving a talk, which would be like a follow-up to his Making Humans a Multiplanetary Species talk that he gave in Mexico. But now he has Daniel and I were there in Mexico for that talk. It was kind of a disaster. I hope he doesn't hear that. But, but now, now he's made it real. It's, he's, he's, it's real now. Yeah. Starship is real. Apparently three are being built right now. I don't know where the third one is. What I'm aware of is, is that there's one in Cocoa Beach, Florida, which is next door to Cape Canaveral and one being built at Boca Chica. And Elon's plan is to launch one of them on a suborbital flight, which is typical for testing. Suborbital is what Jeff Bezos is doing right now, the hopper tests. And uh, they're gonna do an orbital flight, which is just like a regular flight of the Falcon 9 to orbit, except it's gonna be Starship. And uh, they're planning to do this all within the next three months. So that's why Elon ha is having this talk to sort of update the public on where they are on their journey journey to Mars. I shouldn't say that, that's NASA's term. But SpaceX is trying to get to Mars and Hopper was a big, I wanna say a big fucking step for that. That was I mean, pretty was amazing. First, it was mm. the first time their Raptor had really been unleashed in yeah. a real way. I mean, they did that first little They did hop, like a little hop yeah, a, couple, mean, uh, a month ago. It was like a 20 meter or whatever. Yeah, but this is the most powerful engine ever made. Ever made. So it's, it's an extraordinary thing. So stay tuned for that. We'll be down in Boca. I'm sure Dan will be covering for Wired. But uh, we thank you for joining us for this week's episode. And we'll be back next week, hopefully, with an update on the lander. And, you know, we'll see where the Indians are going from there. So thank you. Thank you.